You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I used to joke on set. I'm like, guys, sorry, it's my stupid brain tumor. Totally kidding, not knowing that there was really a brain tumor in there. So I called up a few people. Wow, that, that gets me misty. I called up a few people in my life that meant a lot to me and I told them Oof. and their reactions were beautiful because most people don't get to hear what they mean to people until they're gone and maybe they're seeing it from above at their funeral I got to hear what I meant to people while I was living and the things that I heard were like mind-blowing to me and things that I didn't even realize about myself I don't know how you did all the amazing things You've done, you've done, my, if I were to just introduce you, that would take up the whole hour of the show. <laughs> so like Access Hollywood, Entertainment Tonight, Dateline, Today, Extra, Nightline, you've been an actress in a ton of stuff. Oh yeah, I forgot to totally mention you're a professional wrestler. Yes. How could I forget that? Just don't mess with uh, me. <laughs> yeah, that's, is it, is it fake when you're wrestling? No. All right, that's all I needed to know on that. You wanna try? I'm kidding. <laughs> no. 
I'm 50 and I break easily. Okay. So like when when do you switch over from striving for a certain degree of fame or success to switching that to striving for your own personal well-being, which is all yeah. we ultimately have. I have to keep him in check. He's he's a gabber. He's a what? A gabber. A gabber? But you guys yeah, are... You got it. You spotted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, so, so we're rolling and I haven't introduced you yet, but you've known each other for like... 18, 19 years, you just got married. Oh, 20 years. 20 yeah. years. You just got married, yeah. right? Steve Harvey did the officiating yeah. on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. So I'm going to ask you about that. But Maria Menunos, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, having me. I almost, I have to, I have to, this is the one time I have to look at my notes because you're, you're like, uh, or you were, there's a lot of aspects to your story. We'll get to all of it. But <laughs> you are, and were, I'm going to say, like a walking Adderall. I don't know how you did all, all the amazing things you've done. You've done, my, if I were to just introduce you, that would take up the whole hour of the show. <laughs> so like Access Hollywood, Entertainment Tonight, Dateline, Today, Extra, Nightline. You've been an actress in a ton of stuff. Uh, your com conversations with Maria, uh, Sirius XM show, podcasts. You're CEO of After Buzz TV, which is tens of millions of downloads. I think you hit your billionth download a couple of years ago. It's a network of podcasts. Yeah, it was Kinda, a billion annually. Yeah, it's a billion annually. Yeah. So that's amazing. So that's, uh, uh, just to describe it, it's like podcasts about media and TV shows and so on. It's like the uh, ESPN of TV talk. I like yeah. I like that description. Yeah. Uh, and then, boom, you had a, a brain tumor or an operation for what what looked like a brain tumor, a serious you know issue. Uh, it took you to, a while to recover. It, it kind of changed. You know, you went through a transformation. You 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 say in many interviews you slowed things down. You you limited your social media. Uh, uh, you reduced stress. It was kind of this life changing experience and scary experience for you. But at the same time, you still do more. You do more than everyone else still. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask about that and. I don't know. Did I introduce you okay? Like, what can yeah. I add to the introduction? I don't know. I was getting a little dizzy. I was actually remembering when I did David Letterman, and he made fun of my long resume, and that was like when I first started. So I think uh, right are now, are you comparing me a little to David yes. Letterman, or are you saying I'm <laughs> I'm ripping him off? So yeah, no, it was uh, it was funny. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely done a lot in my life and career, and I feel like I've been. I've had more time to reflect in this last year as I've been recovering because it was in fact a brain tumor I had um, surgery for. So um, yeah, there's been a lot of time to look back at everything and I kind of look at pictures and I look at, you know, different things and I'm like, wow, I've done a lot of cool stuff. I've done a lot and I've done a lot of cool stuff. Um, so yeah, there's- what, what does it, and we're gonna get to many aspects of the story. Uh, and by the way, your uh, conversations with Maria is a great, podcast series you deal with really important issues like Thanks. dealing with self-doubt uh it's really a uh, you know how to deal with relationship addiction Health so it's and a wellness. real lot of issues yeah. that kind of kind of are the building blocks to success really people don't realize it's not oh who's your agent it's how do you deal with these scary things inside of you that you have to battle every day so you can show up 
for success. Yeah. And I think I feel like that's what your podcast and show is about. Someone talked about those a little too. But had you just you kind of I feel like everybody asked you to do everything. And at some point you said yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And then it catapulted everything. Like how did it all get started? Yeah. I mean, I definitely said no to things too, but the things I said no to were things that I didn't feel a connection to or I didn't believe in. So like there what? were like major campaigns where people wanted me to represent something and I'm like, well, I would never use it. And it would be like a seven figure deal. And my husband would be like, you have too much integrity. And I was like, well, what if it gets people sick later? And like right now it's okay, but later it won't be. And so I definitely overthought things a lot because I was nervous and I'd rather play it safe than, you know, whatever. But in terms of career, like TV and stuff, I was like, yes, 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 I'll do it all. And I wanted to do it all from a young age when I was growing up. I always wanted to do a lot of different things. And so I just did. And, and I should mention, it's not just like celebrity gossip on these shows like Access Hollywood mm -hmm. and, and, and Extra and E!, but you've been you've also been a serious journalist. Uh, you've been on the Today Show and uh, the same day you were on Nightline, almost as if you never sleep. You you in those days I wasn't. <laughs> you you, you uh, interviewed the the only person to interview the entire Obama family uh, at once. What was how did you get that gig? <laughs> you know I had a secret weapon in that, and I'll tell you about it. I uh, I was working for it was actually Nightly News with Brian Williams and. I had pitched a series to them uh, called The Candidates Kids because at that time in 2008, there were a lot of candidates with kids that were around my age. And I was interested in learning about the candidate through their family. And so I started the series and uh, I think Sarah Huckabee was my first interview and then Meghan McCain and then I got the Romney boys. And when I had reached out to the Obama campaign, they said that the girls were too young, but they said, but keep us posted on who you get. So I knew there was like a slight open door. And so as I got more and more interviews, um, I uh, I then sent them, you know, the footage just so they could see that it, was, it wasn't it was um, salacious or anything to be afraid of. It was very like, um, very, you know, smartly done, but also just innocuous. It wasn't going to be something they should be concerned about. Um, and... One day I got the call from my boss at Access Hollywood. So at the time I was working for Access Hollywood, the Today Show and Nightly News. And he said, uh, we want you to go to Butte, Montana to interview Senator Obama because it was um, July 4th weekend. So it was just a few months before he was elected and uh, his wife, Michelle. And so Kevin and I got on a plane. It was like three flights to Butte, Montana. Went to Butte, Montana and... Somehow he ended up, we met the girls and he took them on a tour of the mining museum that he had already seen because they had wanted to see it. And Wait, Kevin, why did you go see the mining museum? Nerd. <laughs> like I would not, I, I would think um, <laughs> three flights, I'm just going to sleep for a while. You, yeah. just go, you just go to the mining museum. Well, the, the event was at the mining museum. There's like a big park and stuff. So he's like, I'm going to go check it out. And so that's why the, it was it was all part of the same area. And so the girls wanted to go and he was like, I'll take them. So he took them on a tour with like probably the nanny, I think it was. No, the, uh, 
the Secret Service agent who was her skill set was within taking care of children. Oh, so it was a Secret wow. Service agent who specializes in children. So she went along. And by the time he came back, I had started kind of feeling this feeling that maybe there might be something bigger happening here and that maybe I might get the kids, that they had seen all of these stories and I had, you know, laid the bricks down and uh, he comes back from the the museum tour and the girls are hanging on him and they're like, Uncle Kevin, we want to see it again. And they're like hanging off his arms and it was so cute. And I'm like, oh, I think I got an interview. And so, um, yeah, they jumped in on the interview and I got the only interview with the Obama family and it was it was massive and um, definitely something that I regard as one of the highlights of my career. Well, let, let me ask you this because this is like sort of the-, the... That and WrestleMania. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot to totally mention you're a professional wrestler. Yes. How could I forget that? Just don't mess with me. Uh, yeah, that's, is it, is it fake when you're wrestling? No. All right, that's all I needed to Not know on fake. that. Not <laughs> fake, it hurts. So, so you want to try? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm 50 and I break easily. Okay. So, what I want to know is, like, just in terms of interviewing, when you're interviewing like the Obama family, are you thinking like, okay, what can I get out of them as a family that no one else has gotten, or are you thinking, what can I learn because I'm interviewing, you know, these incredible people? Mm-hmm. I think it's a combination. So. Whenever I sit to do an interview with somebody, my goal is to show a side of them that nobody knows. And I want to put them in the best light they can be in. So I never was somebody who was, excuse me, mining for nasty things or anything like that. Um, And so I wanted them to shine for whoever they were, right? I don't know until I sit down with them what I'm going to get. I do all my research and all my homework and I know everything inside out. And then I just let the conversation flow. Uh, for example, I interviewed Rain Wilson today on my Sirius XM show. And a lot of people don't know, he does a lot of work in Haiti with his wife and they educate young girls. And, you know, he's um, got this incredible organization called, uh, I think it was Soul Patch. I've already started to forget. But when we finished that interview, everyone's like, wow, I really like him. I didn't know anything about him. And that to me is like my biggest compliment. I take it as a compliment for me, even though the compliment is to him, because that means I did my job and I showed people who he really is full circle, not just him as an actor and a star and you know, someone who's in a big movie right now. And with the Obamas, for me, it was important to know who they were as a family behind the scenes, who they truly were, not the policies and all of that, because that's just something um, that I leave to other people. But I want to know who the people behind the policies are. And and so as a family, do you like what was like one parenting thing you saw where you were like, huh, if and when I have kids, that seems like a good idea I'm going to do with my kids. I don't know if it was parenting things. I remember uh, being blown away at how real and normal they were. Like even my quick chat before we started with Michelle, they were talking about how they just paid off their student loans just three years before that. Um, President Obama or then Senator Obama was rocking this like old belt, an old brown belt and the girls were making fun of him and it was really adorable. And they just were so real and so normal. And at the time, just before that interview, they were being kind of positioned as elitists in the media and people weren't reacting favorably to Michelle. 
And after that interview, people got to see a whole different side. And in fact, our competition at ABC, there was an article um, that had come out and they heralded this interview as one of the top five defining moments that led to his election. Wow. Because I think it showed a different side of them. Well, you know, and you mentioned your husband, Kevin, your your then boyfriend, now husband, Kevin. My secret weapon. Went with you. Um, did you go with her on all her trips? Like, did you guys travel together for every news event that she was doing? He drove me everywhere. Yeah. Because I always worked so much. He would drive me places. He'd go to the nail salon with me. He'd go to things here and there. Always hiding behind the scenes. But he's been very instrumental in my career. And he's worked so hard to help diversify me and push me to be my best self. And, and After Buzz TV, you do together, which is a thriving business. After Buzz TV, we co-founded, um, because we love television at the time, Breaking Bad and Jersey Shore were our like top favorite shows. We rock high low. And he's like, let's do a podcast. He's like, we don't do anything like, we don't have a hobby as a couple. Let's do this together. And after we did it, friends started wanting to do them. And so it just started to naturally grow from there. And yeah, we built a business where we're producing 150 hours of content a week. We're global all over the world. Um, and we have about 300 hosts. So our, our two goals with AfterBuzz, one is to create good content. So if you love TV and you love talking about TV, you will love AfterBuzz. And then two, we're helping to shepherd the careers of young aspiring hosts who um, who we can mentor and help grow. And we've had umpteen success stories that we've we've helped um, in various positions, whether they made it to Access Hollywood or CNN or Fox. We've had a lot of success stories and we love being able to provide a, a healthy, sane, non-toxic, fun environment for them to grow in. Whereas, you know, the business can be very rough and I've, I've encountered a lot of the roughness. In and so way? for them, just it's, it's toxic, it's tough. Um, and for me, it's important that we stop and we teach them. You know, I've had people who wanted me to drown. And if I needed help or answers, they never gave them to me. And so I will pull our hosts aside and tell them what they're doing wrong, show them how to do it right, and then they can grow. Can, can you give me an example? Like when you were a host of a show and you were, you were reaching your capacity in mm -hmm. terms of your skill set at that time, other people maybe didn't give you the right advice and then you had to figure it out. Like what's a what's a skill set of a of a host that that was hard for you to learn? You know, I think um writing good packages was something that I was struggling with at times and and trying to figure that out. Um, what's a package? A package is like, you know, a 2-minute story you'd see on any show, whether it's the Today Show or Nightly News or any of that. I think I was underconfident in that area and um, and I had some uh, some bully bosses along the way in my career who um, in in various you know broadcasting platforms that just didn't want to help or for example, they um, yeah, they just it's just people who just want to knock you down and and they see a confident kind of what, why bright do they person you down and they want if, to extinguish that light for some reason. It's but, Well, but, there, are, there are always political things that happen behind the scenes. 
that you have no control over, that have nothing to do with you, that have to do with outside allegiances and and bitter feuds between people and the wrong person brought you in or hired you and then everyone else has to hate you because they hate that person and stuff like that. So it's people like take sides, like teams. Yeah, it's very high school. It's so, very high school. <laughs> so uh, you've had some extremely pivotal moments in your life in the past few years, but I kind of want to ask like, you guys, you know, you and 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 your husband Kevin, you, ha, you've been going out since you were like what, nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's this? What's the secret of your success? I'm sure you've been asked this, so maybe this is like old hat for you to answer this. But I don't know. We don't get that asked very much, to be honest. I think we're best friends. We trust each other, and we really love being with each other. Like, I feel like I want to be scotch taped to him. <laughs> I mean, that's so nice to say after 21 years. When was there a moment? What was the worst moment? Like, when were you like, please, Kevin, go in the other room. I need my moment. I don't know. Um, If you think of anything, honey, shout it out. But Did you ever, like, Kevin, you're... You met because you're interested in filmmaking. You're both yeah. kind of in, I mean, you both are in media and you're doing After Buzz TV together and other things together. Were you ever competitive, particularly as she was skyrocketing in Never. success? Never. He's always been so supportive. I've always been a, I never got that because it's your, your best friend and your partner. So you want them to succeed because that's your success. I loved it. I was always proud. And, and, what about you? Did you ever feel competitive with him in any way? Mm-mm. No, you know, it's funny. We um, we went to an event that I hosted the other day. There's a show on a called Born This Way. And the young girl with Down syndrome on the show wanted to explore the world of hosting. So she came to Kevin for advice and mentoring and coaching. And he was chatting with her. And of course, because we call Kevin the dream maker, he got into other areas of her life and he found out that she was making t-shirts, tie-dye t-shirts in her basement with her mom. And if you see the photos, there's like hundreds of baskets in this basement and they were just having such a hard time keeping up with the demand and, you know, trying to really run a business. And so Kevin's like, all right, I got this. And he makes things happen so fast. So he put her in touch with a friend of ours who's a big clothing manufacturer who does all the Disney licenses and all of that. And Hello Kitty, And within seconds, this massive deal was put together. Um, And this girl whose goal is to have financial independence now had her dream come true. And she had this great slogan. It was called, don't limit me. And all the sayings on the shirts have a real positive meaning. And so he made her dream come true. Like he's the fairy godmother, but we'll call him the fairy godfather actually. And, uh, And I just, I watched it and it was so beautiful. We showed up at the event, I hosted it where we unveiled the line like a week ago and it's her brand is called Megology and the girl just raced at our car, literally dove into his arms and she's like, Kevin, my angel, my dream maker. And I've never, Kevin has helped like so many people. Like it's impossible to count in his lifetime and he's like a Hollywood priest. And so- He's helped so many people. I have never seen anyone be more appreciative in my life. And this girl got it. She got the enormity of what he did. She appreciated it. And it was so special to see. And she kept calling me. She kept saying, and his wife. And I love Kevin and his wife too, of course. So I was relegated to just wife status, which Uh was awesome because normally he's Mr. Menounos. So it was great for me to be the one in the back 
a little bit. And I and I loved seeing that, but um, but we've never been competitive. Now, if anything, he's competitive, he with me, for me. Hmm. So you know, they say there's a study where they analyze like three thousand couples over forty years, and they want to figure out is it the couples who are support each other during the hard times that stay together, or is it the couples? who support each other during the good times that stay together. Because it could because couples get competitive. It could yeah. be the case they, they get resentful of each other or whatever. I can see that. That's and hard. It, it turns out by a huge margin, it's the couples that support each other during good times or mm. the ones that stay together the longest. Wow. Well, so he that, was there in the bad times too. I mean, in, between my mom being diagnosed with brain cancer and me with my brain tumor, he never, um, never wavered, never left my side. And took such good care of me and my my mom. He's he's taking care of all of us for so many years. So so, so, so let me ask this, like you're 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 running in your career 200 miles an hour, mm-hmm. 1000 miles an hour, faster than the speed of light. And two big things, your mom's uh stage 4 brain cancer, your brain tumor. Um, you know, I think I think for the first one I heard you say, you know, that was a, you know, you started to slow down there and realize, "Oh, I need to spend time with mom instead of just doing the next segment of some show. But then your brain tumor, which was a little harder for you to get physically through, you really decided to take a, or you you say you took a step back. What was, and again, I'm sure you've been asked about this a lot. We're going to dive in. But what was the the first things that told you you needed to slow down and what what happened? Well, I mean, you have no choice when you get, Delta brain tumor diagnosis. So when I found out I had my brain tumor, I knew I had to have surgery. And so- Was it growing? Like explain to me what happens with a brain tumor. Yeah, the meningiomas are really common in women. They're actually slow growing tumors. And so we don't quite know when it started. He's He knows it's been there a long time. I think I know it's been there about 10 years, um, but it- it may have accelerated in growth with IVF treatments. I don't know because it's uh, hormone connected and they're doing a lot of studies on that right now. So we knew we had to have surgery and we know surgery on the brain is going to take quite some time to recover from. So uh, there was really no choice. And honestly, I knew why it was happening. I knew it was God shutting it down for me because I was never going to shut it down. Well, well, were you, why did you get uh, the diagnosis? Like, were you feeling a lot of pain? Like what was exactly happening? Yeah, so my mom went down and she had, uh, we found out she had brain cancer and she was super exhausted, like super, super exhausted. And we were running all these tests and we were trying to eliminate everything it could be. And I was like, well, she's had a really rough life and she's really worked so hard and it's gotta be that. And so- Can, can I interrupt you there for yeah. a second? Your parents met when they were janitors? <laughs> no, we were janitors, but um, no, they met. They didn't meet being janitors. Okay. No, they became janitors. They, they became janitors afterwards. Janitors yep. together stay together. Exactly. Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, sorry for my interruption. So anyway, we, I started feeling things, but I was so I was going at the speed of light, so I never had time to to feel anything, and anything I felt, I thought was stress. So. I was lightheaded. I would get dizzy. My vision started kind of getting blurry. Um, I was getting headaches. And, you know, when you're busy, and for me, I don't like taking pills. So 
it was a rare moment, but if it was really bad, I'd pop some Tylenol, keep going, keep moving. And I thought after my mom got sick that anything I felt was stress because I was under so much duress. I was my mom's quarterback. I was in charge of everything for her healthcare. And there were a lot of really massive decisions that were on my shoulders. And if it went wrong, everyone was gonna look at me and say, that was your fault. So it was very, very difficult, um, pretty excruciating actually. And so I just, I thought it was stress. And then I started getting ear pain. So in January, I thought I had an ear infection. It went away at some point because the symptoms can come and go. Depends on, I think, like if the tumor's aggravated, let's say, and it's pushing on a nerve of some sort, maybe it's not pushing that day. So in February, I finally decided I'm going to the doctor and I went to see this new doctor. His name is Dr. Aaronin at UCLA. And I said, I have an ear infection. I think I had one in January too, but my body healed itself and it's back. And Why do you think your body healed itself? Because well, I had assumed that was the only explanation because it went away. Okay. And so he checked my ear and he said, you don't have an ear infection. What else are you feeling? I was like, well, since you asked, uh, my vision's kind of blurry. I'm getting these nasty headaches. Oh, you know, actually my ear has been hurting for a long time. My speech is slurring. And then it hit Not me. Not good for a TV host. When it, and I'd never done that before. And I used to joke on set. I'm like, guys, sorry, it's my stupid brain tumor. Totally kidding, not knowing that there was really a brain tumor in there. And so finally I said to him, I said, oh my God, I know you're going to think I'm crazy because we females think we have to preface everything with, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, which we now must replace with I am wise, as a nice mystic told me. Uh, but I think I have a brain tumor like my mom. And he said, I don't think you're crazy because he was one of the good ones. And uh, he said, but I don't like the symptoms you're, you're telling me. Let's get an MRI. And so we ended up getting an MRI and I found out I had a brain tumor. And he tells you you have the brain tumor. What's your very first reaction? Given, well, given that you have ex a lot of experience dealing with brain yeah. tumors because you were mom. Well, at that time, we had found out that my mom's brain tumor, the doctor said hers was growing, which when you have glioblastoma, like my mom, it's the worst kind of cancer you could ever have. It's the deadliest cancer. And when they tell you your tumor is growing, it's a freight train that isn't stopping and you're you're a goner. And so we were really scared and I was reaching out to different um, universities and different you know institutions to get their opinions. And I decided to treat it in a different way. So the side effects of chemo mirror the symptoms of regrowth. When you get an MRI, they can't tell you what's on that MRI officially until they biopsy or do surgery and actually go in and test. It could be inflammation. It could be radiation damage. It could be so many different things. So I took a risk, another one, and I took her to Mexico to a facility I had pre-researched and pre-visited in case something like this was necessary someday down the road. And I instructed them to detox her off of the chemo and fortify her with vitamins and supplements and things like that. Well, I, I, I'm <clears throat> just trying to understand what, what does it mean to detox off chemotherapy? So when chemo is built up in your system, it can give you those symptoms that look like regrowth, right? Mm. So I said, let's just detox her. Let's clean her system out, colonics and you know, coffee enemas and all these things. 
And at the day we moved my parents into their apartment in Mexico, I had like just finished putting everything away from them, setting it up. Now at this time, my dad is literally a shell of a man. He's exhausted. It's now he's terrified his wife is about to die. Like we, it was an awful time. Then I get the call <laughs> while we're there. Kevin had gone out to the convenience store and I get the call and the doctor says, I hate to tell you this after everything you've gone through, but you have a brain tumor too. You were right. And so I had my iPad out and I just started taking notes. I'm like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh. What kind is it? And he's like, a meningioma. I'm like, okay, great. Yep, yep. And he's like, you need to see your neurologist right away. And I'm like, okay. And so I hung up the phone and I was like, oh shit, this is crazy. And I texted my best friend and I said, we've been best friends since seventh grade. I said, I have a brain tumor, but I can't talk right now. I got to pee. And then when Kevin gets back, I got to tell him first and then I'll call you. <laughs> she still hates me to this day over that. So Kevin showed up and I said, I have bad news and we need to go outside because my parents were inside and I couldn't let them know because they were so devastated and scared. Now I couldn't compound that with my news. So we went out to this parking lot and I literally turned the camera on instantly because I I document everything and I knew this was a moment I wanted to remember. And I said, so I have a brain tumor. And Kevin's head just goes down. And I'm like, what are we going to do? And the sickest part of it was that my first reaction was, no one's ever going to want to work with me again. What, why did you think that? Because I thought it was a liability health-wise. Mm. And so I called my lawyer instantly. He was like my brother. And I told him and he was like, you know, I know that you like to be honest and tell everybody everything. Keep this one close to the vest for now. Let's wait till you get on the other side. I was like, okay. And then I looked at Kevin. I'm like, we can't tell my parents, can we? And he's like, no, we can't. I'm like, okay. So then I called my surgeon, my neurosurgeon's office, Dr. Black, who's my, who was my mom's at the time. And I scheduled an appointment and they're like, it's for your mom, right? And I go, nope. And that was the beginning of the journey. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But 
it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. So at that point, you start planning your surgery. Yeah. And it's almost like the anticipation of surgery is scarier than the aftermath because there's a lot of uncertainty. You mm -hmm. don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to... You First off, you don't know whether you're going to live or die. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to change your appearance. You don't know how it's going to change your physical abilities. Well, uh, for me, it was actually really scary because the tumor was pressing on a nerve that controls the whole right side of my face. So I was, it was a very dangerous and complicated surgery where there was a very good chance that I was going to have paralysis and all kinds of defects on my face. And so, you know, Dr. Black had to lay it all out for me. And I'm like, well, 
I'm in good hands with you and I have to have faith and we'll deal with the rest. Now, maybe this didn't happen, <clears throat> but with all this going on, you know, you're, you're, you were the advocate for your mom, mm-hmm. you're helping her, then you, you dealing with this, you and Kevin dealing with this, you scheduling the sur- surgery. Uh, you know, now you're talking about it somewhat calmly, but at which point, at what point beforehand did you cry? I didn't cry. Never? I'll tell you when I did cry. Um, so I didn't cry initially or anything like that. I was just cracking jokes. Like even when I saw Dr. Black, I was like, hey, you see this mother-daughter tumor thing often? And he goes, nope. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. And so uh, I didn't cry. My thing was I was in protect mode for my parents. And I also knew that everyone around me had just dealt with enough at that point. And I wanted, in a sense, to to lighten the journey for all of us because we were pretty sure mine was benign. Dr. Black's like, I'm pretty sure I've been fooled before, so I can't guarantee it, but it looks benign. And just that made me feel comfortable mm-hmm. because I was like, there could be so much worse right now. It could but, be cancer. But even taking out the benign tumor where, where it was contained so many Yeah, risks. well, that was the other question I said. So surely my surgery is going to be much easier, right? And he goes, nope. He's like, it's actually much, much more complicated. And so I was like, damn. Why is it more complicated? Because of the nerve it was wrapped around, the trigeminal nerve and where it was placed. Um, it was really tricky and tricky enough where he couldn't get the whole thing out because he would have damaged me if he did. So I didn't cry at all until I started to tell people. So the week before surgery, my therapist was like, this isn't even real to you. You have to tell the people that are closest to you. So I called up a few people. Wow, that that gets me misty. I called up a few people in my life that meant a lot to me. And I told them, oof. And their reactions were beautiful because most people don't get to hear what they mean to people until they're gone. And maybe they're seeing it from above at their funeral. I got to hear what I meant to people while I was living. And the things that I heard were like mind-blowing to me and things that I didn't even realize about myself. So I learned a lot about myself in that moment. I learned a lot about the relationships I've made and the impact I've had. Can you can you, can you give me an example? Um, <clears throat> oh, gosh. Um, I, I honestly, I, I don't know if I can truly put it into words right now. Um, but other than to say, you know, that it moved me. I mean, honey, you might remember, I, you're my USB. I can't remember anything right now other than the feeling. I don't ever remember you crying. I cried then. That's it. Like when I told Vin, I cried. When I told Wilmer, I cried. When I told, huh? I wasn't there for those. Yeah. Because I think for me, it was like, it was me having to be vulnerable, right? And I'm not used to being vulnerable. And it was more like, I felt like it was just weird to like have to call people and say, hey guys, I don't want you to feel bad or anything. Like, no worry. But like, I have a brain tumor and I have brain surgery and you're important enough in my life where I, I need to tell you this before. And, you know, like Tony Robbins was one of them. He's a good friend of mine. And I knew because he's gone through this that he would have an interesting perspective and be helpful. And 
you know, he was urging me to get all these other opinions and he was great, but, um, did, did but you yeah. get other opinions? Uh, yeah. <laughs> One said, cause you've also the, the, been on, on the, you also advocate people getting other opinions. Yeah, you, know, you have then. to. Yeah. It was, someone said the, um, the potential pitfalls of this surgery could be catastrophic. Um, and then went on to say some suggestions for them. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was pretty dramatic. And it was one of the biggest institutions in the world. Um, so that was a little scary for a minute, but I knew I was in the best hands with Dr. Black. But how do you and deal I felt with- safe with him. G- given that everybody, given the uncertainty, which, mm-hmm. which always leads to fear, and given the reality, mm-hmm. which in this case should lead to fear, how did you personally on a daily basis, while you're kind of, Holding up the world, it sounds like. How did you how did you deal with the fear so you could function? I went to work. Um, and then at some point, I think it was like two weeks before surgery, um, the head of the network at NBC, Francis Berwick, was very kind and said, What do you need? Like, and I was like, I don't know. I never thought about that. And she was like, Wait, what are we even talking about? Don't come back to work. Just go, go do your thing, come back when you're ready and you know, we can talk about all that later. Or maybe but like, work was like distracting. Maybe it was a good thing. It was a good thing, but I was in a lot of pain and I was suffering and I didn't know. I just didn't know. I thought it was because I was stressed and I would never say, I need time off of work because I'm I'm stressed taking care of my mom. So I had to, as most of us do, suck it up, toughen up and keep fighting. And so when she said, you know, you have two weeks before surgery, just stay home and get prepared. I want you in the right mindset. And I thought that was really amazing of her because I didn't even know I needed that. And I did. And before surgery, my husband and I went to this place in Arizona called Miraval. It was really, really amazing because I had just gotten the diagnosis and my two best friends came with us. And we got to process it together, go through all these different therapies and sessions with healers and such. And it really set me up for success. I It was really game-changing. And yeah, there were moments where I was scared um, and I would feel like a Mack truck hit me in the chest. We'd be watching a TV show and I would hit pause and be like, oh, am I really having major brain surgery next week? Is someone really going to saw my head open? This is crazy. And Kevin was so good because he was like, yeah, 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 but you're going to be fine. It's going to be good. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And then we'd hit play again. And then I teared up a little in the hospital, but it wasn't about the surgery as much as I was really nervous about the catheter and doctors seeing me naked. I'm like, I'll never look at Dr. Black again in the eye if he's seen me naked. Please shield me. I just am so shy and embarrassed. And so I like shed a tear with the the nurse. I'm like, you'll protect me, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, thank you. (laughs) And so tell me about, just because I'm trying to picture it, like this is a naive question, but how big was the brain tumor? It was like a size of a golf ball. That's pretty big. I would like, say could you see close it? to a golf ball. Could yeah. you see it from looking at the MRI? Oh yeah. No, but what, just physically, could you see it like a golf no, ball? No, no, it's inside your head. It's in your brain. Yeah, but doesn't it push your brain out a little bit? No, luckily I don't think it pushed anything out. <laughs> so size of a of a golf ball. By the way, I I I just as a stupid tangent, but. I hate everything about golf. I feel like the only reason they should have ever invented a golf ball is just so you could say a tumor was the size of a golf ball. Just like a grapefruit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this tumor's the size of a grapefruit, a fruit that nobody ever eats. Yeah. But anyway, you you are going in for surgery. Mm-hmm. You're you know, you're you you've equipped yourself with, you know, techniques for dealing with the the fear and the uncertainty. Um, you had a support system around you, but yeah. still 
you open your eyes after surgery. What's uh, do you move your toes? Do you blink your eyes? Like, what's Ooh, the first thing you did? That was tough. So our rule was comedy must rule in our house, and that's how we got through it. Uh, went into surgery playing Rocky. Had my theme song, and not Xanadu. <laughs> no, and and you know it was it was crazy because I I I did wake up at some point, and Kevin was filming me and. I think my first thing I said was it was actually the Rocky Balboa quote. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, which was cool. And, but the sad thing was they all started freaking out because I, my eyes were going all over the place. Literally, they were going back and forth like crazy. And, you know, they were all like Did you distraught. feel that happening? I didn't feel it. I, I don't remember being able to open my eyes easily. It was like... And maybe I didn't notice it necessarily, but these guys were like distraught and freaking out and so crying. So your first awareness that something might be off was watching their reactions. Yeah, but I'm so out of it. So I didn't really, I wasn't really grasping it. I was more concerned because there was a woman crying and screaming next door. You know, you're in the recovery room. So there's just a curtain. And I kept saying, honey, go help her. Like we're on a plane. And if I see someone that needs help, I'm like, honey, will you help her? Go help her. Go help him. Whatever. I deploy my Kevin, angel. You're on a lot of missions for her. Yeah. And so I think he's sleeping. Oh yeah. Perfect. Uh, and so I normally deploy him. But in this moment, I kept hearing this woman screaming and it was freaking me out. I'm like, honey, go help her. Cause I'm so used to doing that. And he was like, shut it down. She is too aware. She, we need to like knock her out. So he put an eye patch on my eyes headphones on my ears, they doped me up. And I remember waking up in my hospital room and it was uh, it was scary because they didn't know when my eyes would be normal. So Dr. Black was like, we're gonna give you an eye patch because there was one eye I was seeing triple out of, double and triple. And he brought me an eye patch and instantly I'm like, oh gosh, okay. How do we make lemonade? Okay. I'm going to create a superhero character. And so I started designing these like crazy, like thigh high boots that I would wear. And I was going to bedazzle my eye patch and I was going to have an alter ego. And, what will be your powers? Um, I didn't get that far, but, um, but you know, it was going to be fierce. And um, luckily, I think it was probably the next day I got the strength to tell Kevin to bring my friend Vicky, who's a holistic healer to the hospital and she did acupuncture on me and reflexology. And when she was done two hours later, I was completely healed. Wow. So by after she finished. Yeah. My vision went back to normal. And, um, you know, were there, were there late, I mean, there were later problems though. That was just the first. Yeah. I mean, I had to use a walker for a while because it also was, um, it affected my balance nerve. Why so is that? So, have... so, 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 okay. So there's this golf ball there and, it's obviously it's wrapped an, an, around different things and tumor was growing into different areas. And so, and they can't like cut the nerves around it to just take it oh, out. Hell no, you don't want then, that. Yeah. So what do they do? Do they push it through the nerves or like, how do they do? They gently I've been trained to be a doctor, it. so I want to know how to do this. Yeah. They gently tease it away from the nerves. And so that's why you'll have some residual um, deficits. Because right? some of the nerves have been stretched out. Or or messed with a little bit mm -hmm. so that they could get the tumor away. Do nerves generally, when they're stretched out, kind of go back to normal? Well, I don't know if stretched out is the word. And I don't know anything more than they don't know because it's the brain. They don't know what's going to happen, you know? So you kind of just 
you let your body heal and recover and hope everything will go back. Um, and so eventually um, I went from Walker to Kevin's arm and then from there was able to walk on my own, but still a little rickety. Or, was there always progress or was there ever a point where yeah. you're like, you know, I don't know what's happening. It's like flatlined the progress. I feel like it wasn't flatlining, but probably around week five, like they tell you like four to six weeks and you can be normal again. And I'm like, four to six weeks? Like I, I was still a hot mess, but it's individual. And that's the thing that I think is really important to to get out to people is that everyone's body is different and everyone's recovery is going to be different and everyone's put different you know, everyone's put different gas in their cars, right? Like if we're going to look at ourselves like a car, everyone's either beat the shit out of their car or they treated their car like gold. They, they, you know, waxed everything and they treated it gingerly or they treated it like crazy. And so I was a crazy workaholic. Um, I did the best that I could fuel wise. Um, Definitely put some poor gas in there sometimes, but you know, everyone's body's different. So for me, I was starting to get frustrated and Kate Walsh is a friend of mine. She came to visit me and she confided in me at that time that she had had a brain tumor and had it removed as well from Dr. Black. Wow. And she came and she gave me advice and she's like, girl, she's like, this is going to take you a year. Get ready, enjoy your time off and get better. And when she said that, there was relief because still at that point, I was thinking of like goals, like, okay, four to six weeks, I can go back to work. I can do this. I can do that. <laughs> like, And so that's when I kind of really surrendered. And I was like, oh, this is more of a journey. And I'm going to go on this journey. And, and you know, as 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 you've mentioned and, and many people think about in these moments, you know, you only get one shot at this life. It's not like, you know, oh, my my goal in life, my legacy is to be the host of this one TV show mm-hmm. forever, yeah. 75 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Like when when do you switch over from striving for a certain degree of fame or success to switching that to striving for your own personal well-being, which is all yeah. we ultimately have? Great question. I think for me, going through two brain tumors in a matter of months was enough for me to surrender everything and say, I really don't care anymore my health and my happiness are paramount now and everything else comes after. And I really just wanted to heal from so many things in life. I think that these things are opportunities to grow. Problems are opportunities to grow. And I did see this as a rebirth. I had surgery on my birthday and I knew that this was sent to me so that I could um, make changes and make changes that I could then share with people because I'm a communicator and I I have a platform and I have a voice. And so I wanted to share that with, with people and especially women because, you know, I feel like we've, technology's really made things so easy in some ways and then really difficult in others. And we're all so type A and overly working and just, just we've become human doings. I said this yesterday at a conference. I'm like, we went from human beings to human doings. And we don't realize why everyone has so much anxiety and so much stress and so much anger and frustration and all of this. And we just have to pull back. And I've seen myself be able to acquire a lot of knowledge in this time, a lot of new perspective, a lot of new tools that I can employ when I do get busy 
that help me. So instead of revving high when I'm stressed and just being like, no, I got to power through and I got to get it done. Now I'm like, no, I got to take five minutes. And I take five minutes and I calm down and I make a better choice. And so it's been important for me to surrender to all of this at any cost, financially, um, career-wise, because I knew what needed to be done and what was to come. Like, What was the biggest career sacrifice you made post-surgery, post these events? I think it was taking the time off and, and saying no and saying yes to me, which I really want to help women be able to say to themselves. Do you think... Like, I feel like a lot of your early career was about fame. Not necessarily you becoming more famous, although you did, but also a lot of your job was interviewing celebrities who were famous. So you were exposed constantly to people who judged their success metric was in some ways how famous they were. And maybe that even bled a little into your own metric of success. How did your, how do you think now your opinion or relationship to the concept of fame has changed since before? So I don't know because I think for me, it was always kind of conquering new things and and adding more like feathers to the cap. Like, yeah, I did it, right? Like I wrestled at WrestleMania or I did Dancing with the Stars and Oh my God, I got- I forgot to say that in the intro, dancing with the stars. And, you know, I never danced a day in my life. And for me, it's always like getting to do things that I never thought I would get to do. And so I never looked at it from a fame perspective. Um, I looked at it as like opportunities to just live and explore and try things and have fun. And um, and so- So what did you give yourself permission to do uh, in terms of, fun or happiness or well-being that afterwards that you wouldn't have necessarily given yourself permission for before other than saying okay I'm not going to do this job or this or that or whatever yeah I what, think what's a new yes for you I think a new yes for me is something that's purposeful or pure fun and like whereas, what's an example like whereas I would have made a choice to do something if it was let's say good for the career it's like oh this is a healthy career thing to do and you know, I don't love it, but yeah, I'm going to do it because of this. Um, now I'm saying no to most things and I'm realizing how much happier I am because I'm only doing the things that I really, really love that are really making me tick with the people I really love to be around. And it's keeping me in a state of joy constantly. I go to live with Kelly and I cry. I love them so much and I have so much fun there. My ambassador program that I have with Rally Health, I work with them and they make me my best. I want to be around people who bring out the best in me and who allow me to be me. Whereas before in different aspects of my career, I was handcuffed to who they wanted me to be, what they wanted to think of me. And and just a lot of negative forces. And so, now I just, I don't care what you have to offer. If you are of that ilk, I don't want to be around you. So so it's interesting. It's almost like beforehand, you were wearing this suit of armor that was your career. And that's how people would only see you in this suit of armor. Mm-hmm. And you would say yes to the things that made this armor around you look good. That would improve the career. But the armor was gone. And now you're saying yes specifically to the things that make you it, feel yeah. feel good and better about who you're with, 
the time you're spending, mm -hmm. the time you're relaxing. When's the last time you binge watched four straight hours of TV? Oh, now all the time. Now my life is so different. That's why I'm happy. I didn't know this happy existed. I thought I was happy and never knew I wasn't. And so, so is it simply a matter me, of like finding time for you or? It's, it's finding time for you. And I recognize that I'm at a place in my career where I can also rest on the fact that I've built a brand and a name. So I don't want to discourage young people from hustling and working hard. But for them, I'm always like, but find those ways to rejuvenate you and take care of you emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of the package, not just, okay, I eat okay and I work out and whatever. There's so much more to it. And would you say, like all those things that you just listed, I think a lot of people think, okay, those come second. After the career, after the career, then I'm going to work on oh, the you know, health and mm -hmm. spiritual uh, well-being and, and creativity and yeah. artistry. But to some extent, uh, how much do you think success actually is a byproduct of focusing on those things first? So, the, to, so to young people who are like, mm -hmm. well, should I stop hustling? Maybe it's the case that it's not that you stop hustling, it's that you focus on these things so you can succeed. Yeah, it's hard because the wrong people will hear this and be like, <laughs> and they'll be the ones who are lazy, who don't want to work and be like, see, I don't have to do anything. But the right people who understand the message will say, okay, I am a workaholic or I'm working really, really hard for someone who isn't appreciating me. And I need to figure out a way to appreciate me and make that enough, or I need to find something else, or I need to find that time to rejuvenate on the weekend or meditate or do things that are going to enrich me and my happiness while I'm waiting for that next step. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's difficult to do like a one size fits all advice because everybody's at a different place in their lives and in their careers. I just know for me, um, my mental health, my emotional health, everything is worth so much more to me than a job or a career or anything anymore because I know how close I was to not having any of it anymore. So now I've redefined success to myself. Success isn't me chasing after, you know, a dream to be, you know, in my own private jet someday and have, you know, incredible wealth or any of that. To me, success is doing the things that I truly love, that truly fill my cup and make me happy and focusing on my health and sharing that message with people and especially women that without your health, you really are nothing. And we never listen to that until it's too late. You know, focusing on our health is what I'm saying when I say, you know, pay attention to these other things just as much as your career. You know, attack your health with the same ferocity that you attack your career because it's that important because you can't have one without the other. Yeah, if you're sick in bed, you're not going to have a great career. No, it's going to be harder. No, and I watch people who are driving themselves to that grave, and it's not maybe necessarily a grave, it's to the diagnosis or whatever. I'm watching people completely make poor choices health-wise, food-wise, spiritual, everything, just just going oh, down this road that I was going down and I didn't even realize, and now I see it so clearly. And it's it's sad because we're not valuing ourselves enough and and it, it I feel like there's our the word ourselves is very complicated because there's no one self. There's like physical self. There's mm -hmm. to create your 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 true loves. There's your creative side of you. And if you're just going from like job to job to job, interview to interview to interview, dancing with the stars, wrestling this that, 
when it's sort of like you don't really know, you don't have the time to explore your individual creativity that might have nothing to do with the mass media you've been building your career in. Like, did you find any kind of creative outlets afterwards that were just discoveries to you? Like, oh my gosh, I love origami mm. or whatever. I started playing guitar. Started playing guitar. Yeah. A friend of mine came to visit me during uh, recovery and he was teaching me guitar and he thought I had something special there and was like, you need to do this. And so I took up guitar a couple times a week and I don't let anyone mess with my sessions. I don't schedule any work things instead of my guitar classes. I really am religious about it. The only time I don't do it is when I'm out of state, obviously like this. Um, and, and that and that and when you're doing it, that gives you super pleasure, right? Oh my god, I love it. You know, it, it's it's funny because sometimes I feel overwhelmed with all different activities that mm -hmm. I do, and there's one activity in particular that I really love. Where we're actually sitting in my comedy club, and I love doing stand up comedy. And I was thinking, well, you know, that's the one thing I can easily drop because it has nothing to do <gasps> with my career but i decided i made the actual opposite decision good which is that is the only thing i won't drop yeah no matter how stressed because the whole main thing i i it's the only thing probably that makes you fully feel your like self because right. that's who you are and then so many other attributes of yourself come out when you do the things you love you you, you kind of meta learn how to learn all these other skills that are related to your career and money and so on so uh, Maria Menounos, thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. It's a, I I hate it's a horrible story, but an inspiring story. Thank you. And it's like, a, a, by the way, after your surgery, it was then you finally, after a nineteen year relationship yes. with your boyfriend, you got married. Was it related to you coming out of the brain tumor that you got decided, hey, let's get married? Well, you know what. Uh... Definitely when you see someone take care of you the way that Kevin took care of me, you get so gushy and you're so vulnerable. And I'm like, let's just get married and have babies now. And he's like, well, why don't we let your he head heal first before babies? And he's like, let's, he's like, we, yes, we can, we should do the marriage thing. And I started um, working on this show for Fox New Year's Eve. I was hosting and they suggested it and we did it. And it was just one of those things where, you know, Chris Jenner actually said it. She goes, tomorrow is never promised. And my mom was sick and we just didn't know what was going to happen at that time. And we decided to just do it and surprise them. And we had the best time. Well, congratulations on that. All of your success successes. Again, I'm jealous you guys created AfterBuzz TV and I didn't. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and your ongoing health and everything else. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. And download Conversations with Maria Menounos, the podcast. Actually, oh, so yeah, many download, great podcasts. subscribe. We, subscribe. We, we didn't get to that, but I encourage people to listen to those. There are so many great topics you cover you. that are really building blocks to success and happiness and well-being. I encourage everybody to listen to Conversations with Maria. And I just had a conversation with Maria, yeah, so thank you. thank you. This was great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.